Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of October 25th, 2022, and episode number 533, and this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com, and elsewhere, Mixler, live on Mixler, um, but uh, ParanormalKing.com has your live listen links, as well as Paranews Insider. Dot com, the official home of the Paranormal News Insider. Uh, we got a lot of news tonight. I um, was kind of hoping that we wouldn't, and we just kind of sit around and talk ghosts. We'll have a little campfire in the in the uh, the office in here. Uh, burn something. I don't know. I'll find something to catch on. There's got to be something around here. Yeah, plenty of plenty of stuff. But uh, no, we got a lot of news this week. So I don't want to. Take too much time. I can't believe it. it. Just kept writing and writing, and I looked down, and usually I keep it uh, about 13, 14 pages. It's it's almost 15 pages worth of materials. We got a lot of stuff to cover tonight, but uh, we got Halloween next Monday. It's crazy. It's already here, and uh, uh-oh, temperatures are plummeting. Uh, today was a beautiful day. It's all weekend. It was great. Uh, I was, was outside with a short sleeve shirt doing the uh, doing the leaves. It was just crazy how warm it was today. But, uh, yeah, it's not going to last too much longer. So enjoy it if you got warm weather where you're at. Uh, it's crazy for us here in northeast Ohio. It's usually raining this time of the year. Um, Halloween, it always, it's always cold and rainy. So we'll see. But it's uh, p- pretty decent. So far, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see how the uh, fall and winter go. I think it's, it's going to be fairly mild but wet. That's my prediction. But I don't write the Farmer's Almanac, and I don't work for the uh, Weather Channel. So don't listen to me, for all I know. It could be 80 all December. I don't know. We've had that before. Uh, so last week, uh, let's see, last Wednesday, I was down at the Westerville Public Library doing a presentation during their wizards and wands i think it was three weeks and they had all kinds of stuff they had a, a falconry guy come out with a falcon and we got a giant dragon out front of the building on top of the building blowing smoke and uh, all sorts of great presentations uh but uh yeah i was talking about wizards ghosts and spirits oh my and uh, wizards are not really uh, in my, uh, not really in my hot zone for uh, speaking things, but uh, it, it does tie into ghosts a little bit. I think we talked about that. Well, we did talk about that last week. So uh, a little bit of interesting topics, conversations, but everybody wanted to know about ghosts, things like that. Yeah, if I'm going back, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, usually I, I kind of sweat a little bit because they do. Um, the comment cards. And then I just kind of like, oh gosh, this is my fate right here. But I don't think they did that. But we'll see if I'm invited back for year 15. That's crazy. Uh, I don't know anybody that's been at the same library that long. But um, 
it's a great library, great staff, uh, great people that attend these events. Uh, it's not really a huge audience, but uh, was it you know very uh, engaged? They sat there for over an hour. A lot of them sat there for about an hour and a half, which is pretty long when you're going to something that you're not paying for. You're just showing up to a library. Uh, it's kind of hard to commit to stuff like that, to be honest. And if you're paying money, there's generally a, a commitment to it. And going to hear some no-name guy uh, talking about uh, ghosts or uh, wizards, for that matter, which is a little bit of a, an odd topic to go to a library to uh, to hear. Everybody wants to hear about ghosts. In October, it's just kind of the the uh, the thing. And I didn't. I got there kind of early, but it's some paperwork. Man, they make so much paperwork. You got to fill out to do a presentation nowadays, just to get uh, a little bit of a handout for it. Not that I'm doing it for the money, but uh, it's nice to get some gas money because it's a two-hour drive there and a two-hour drive back. So a little bit of gas money was uh, appreciative, and that's about it. Not looking to make any money. Um, but man, I had to fill out all this paperwork. So I didn't get the chance to go upstairs. It's a two-level library. They have uh, kind of a, a like coffee shop at the first level, uh, kids' books. All the meeting rooms are down on the floor level. And then upstairs they have computer rooms and uh, all their books. Yes, they have books at a library. It's really it's almost weird to see that anymore. Uh, you're just so used to it your whole life, and then now you have the internet. Uh, you buy books online. Why go to a library? But believe me, I wouldn't be sitting here in this chair right now if it wasn't for libraries. So please go to your local library. Support them any way you can, and uh, make use of the books. Uh, yeah, I know a lot of them do movies and stuff, but I didn't get to visit my books. There was, uh, I think they only have three of my six, which is fine. And I know one of them I checked uh, online. One of them was checked out, was due, uh, I think it's due tomorrow. So if you've got my book, a handbook for the Amateur Paranormal Investigator to the Art and Science of Paranormal Investigation, you better get that back to the library by tomorrow or you're going to get fined. Um, whoever you are out there that has that book. But, but I appreciate you taking the book out. It's, it's always good to go to the library where you have books and know that they're not there. That's the best feeling. It's it's still cool to see your own book in a library, and hopefully one day I'll get to see my books in a bookstore before they're gone. Um, I have seen my uh, some of my work, or at least my group mentioned in a couple of books. Uh, there was one time I was in a bookstore, and I was I found two books with my group name and my name in it, as well as uh, it was when I did a. Uh, Review in the Skeptical Inquirer. So it was actually in a magazine and two books, which is pretty cool. The guy at the uh, counter didn't care at all. He's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but yeah, a lot of fun to go there. Their ghost section, it's its weird. So it used to be, um, yeah, book places have changed a lot. They, they just kind of throw everything weird into one section. its It's almost in the... Um, religion section anymore where they're putting all the paranormal type stuff. Paranormal used to be a separate thing on the Dewey Decimal System, uh, 131.3 I think. Three something or other, give or take, but it depends on your library, but 131 and 
I don't know. Now it's just all like spiritual new age religion, just all meshed into one, which is really, really weird. But you generally find uh, all that stuff together anyway. It's, it's weird. It always goes from like uh, religion to witches, witchcraft, then to uh, ghosts, cryptids, UFOs. It's just kind of weird to see all that shoved together but paranormal used to be its own section but uh, i don't see that anymore um <clears throat> even in the used bookstores they just tend to shove it in their religion section it seems like it gets smaller and smaller every year but yeah support your local libraries that's all i gotta say on that hopefully i'll be back i'd like to have a few more engagements next year but uh, i gotta get some i have some books out that's the best way to get booked on an event is to get a book out in the world you gotta have little babies because otherwise they don't want to hear from you uh this week we got a lot of stuff to cover like i mentioned we got a couple of polls which i love polls not not like a fire pole but uh, a poll asking people questions it's typically this time of the year because of halloween uh, people like to talk about their beliefs people always want to share stories and i generally hear a lot of those when i go out to uh, speak at events uh, but we're going to start in the cryptid news section, as we always do. There's a pattern to this show. And, uh, well, before I do that, I want to address something. Somebody sent me an email, and they asked me what my uh, numbering system meant. As I said, 532, and they're like, is that season 5, episode 32, or what does that mean? No, uh, tonight is episode 533, 500. And 33rd episode that I've done. Um, I didn't feel the need to do like a year and an episode. Uh, I kind of thought about that, but once I started, I felt like it's too late to stop or change. Does that make sense? Uh, when we first started out, uh, I was doing this monthly on the uh, Grand Dark Conspiracy podcast way back when, 2008 to 2010, before we went weekly. So it didn't make any sense to do do it that way. Just want to address that, that I got an email, very nice email, but left me a little confused, but hopefully that answers the question, even though I did answer the email. Uh, anyway, we're going to head out to Scotland and our favorite cryptid, uh, probably the most active cryptid in the world. Uh, I don't count Bigfoot because most of those sightings are not what they're cracked up to be. And you know, he's all over the place anyway. Uh, every continent, you, every state, seems like you get a Bigfoot sighting. But uh, the Loch Ness Monsters go only got one home. It's a pretty big lake, pretty long lake, pretty deep lake. But he's only one home. And there's some controversy stemming from the Loch Ness Monster this week. Uh, after uh, a couple of sightings, and it's been a, a pretty paltry year for the Loch Ness Monster. Only the sixth official sighting just occurred and it's already october uh, it's pretty much past the peak of uh, the sighting season pretty much for this creature so uh, i don't know we'll see what happens next year uh, we might hit another one or two but uh, it's kind of highly doubtful and this is the sixth official loch ness monster sighting according to the official loch ness monster sightings register which is uh, held by gary campbell it's the uh, all-seeing authority on official Loch Ness Monster sightings. 
Uh, this one took place on October 11th. And if you're keeping score at home, this was the first one since August 27th. And uh, this latest sighting took place around 5.24 p.m. Uh, by a mother and daughter who were visiting from another part of Scotland. And they got a picture, which is fantastic. Um, as far as pictures go, uh, as far as imagery goes, it's it's always hard to see uh, the pictures online because uh, they're compressed. Uh, they're changed. You don't really see a lot. Sometimes they crop them and they zoom in and it's all you know, out of focus or whatever, a little blurry, a little pixelated, but uh, this one's like, they, they show it. Um, I, I hope that's not cropped in because it's, it's awful, uh, it's awful far away, but they have the red circle of doom. It's not even a circle. It's just like, um, it's like a little kid uh, scratch the, uh, scratch the thing. So obviously you could tell it was altered because, uh, they drew a red circle on it. It's not even a circle. I don't know what that is. Free form. Uh, out of the probably paint application. Anybody use paint anymore? I don't know. Uh, and it's so far away. There's a little fleck in the water. It's probably like two miles away from looking at the picture. I, I don't know what they saw. Or, uh, they said uh, it was a lot closer than that. But that does not look like... Uh, they estimated 200 yards. Well, that's not 200 yards. That's, I mean, again, you don't have the whole picture, so I can't. It's hard to judge, and you don't know exactly where this took place. So it's, a, you know, I could use maps, mapping software, uh, even just Google Maps for that matter, and lay down the scale to see how far away that was. But uh, the description of the sighting by the mother and daughter was, uh, they said, "quote 200 yards off the bank, we noticed a long break in the water." which was otherwise still and calm. As we watched, a black hump appeared out of the water and sat for approximately 30 seconds before disappearing once again under the water. After another 30 seconds, the black lump resurfaced for a shorter amount of time before disappearing under the water again. The lump appeared to be boxy in shape and about the size of a football. It did not appear to swim about. Rather, it just bobbed and then disappeared under the water before resurfacing to do the same thing a second time, unquote. I think they mean like a soccer ball. You know, when they say football, they, they mean soccer here in the United States. Although that's pretty much about the same size, but I don't know how you can judge the exact size of something that's 200 yards away, even though this is uh, well more than 200. I mean, 200 would be not even... This is more like 800 yards. That's pretty far away uh, looking at this picture. But again, it's hard to tell. There's there's uh, kind of a lack of detail to be able to judge distance correctly. You'd have to see the near shore uh, as well as know where this exactly took place. But either way, a lot of people are uh, under the uh, suspicion that this is probably just a log uh, because logs will... Uh, bob up and down those surface, especially when it's out in the middle of the lock like that, where there's actually a little bit of a of a current, a little bit of a uh, to call seesh, which you can kind of tell by looking at the top of the water. There is a little bit of uh, current activity, and there's wind on the top, 
of the uh, the lock. So there there is a little bit of a current. So things are going to be bobbing up and down if they're floating under the surface. And I could tell you uh, from my years of kayaking experience, uh, I've seen a few things that I've I laugh about it because I can see and I'll start taking pictures of of the log bobbing up and down. Um, sometimes these things, I mean, not here because this is very deep, but sometimes in uh, like reservoirs where I kayak, they'll be sitting on the on the bottom of the of the uh, on the floor because it's only maybe ten feet deep or fifteen feet deep in some of these reservoirs. So it's just poking its head above the surface. But if it's floating, yeah, it could it could easily bob up and down and stay under the surface, which is dangerous, especially if you're in a boat, let alone a kayak. Um, but yeah, I, it's hard to tell. You really don't know. It could be a deer for all we know swimming. Uh, could be, uh, could be a duck. Who knows? Uh, could be the Loch Ness monster, but too far away to tell. But that is an official sighting, even though there's really not a whole lot to tell. So keep that in mind. Our second of three stories tonight on the Loch Ness monster. Uh, which this one, not to be outdone, but longtime Loch Ness Monster seeker Ian O'Fadigan has been keeping a keen eye on the newly placed webcams. We talked about that a few weeks ago, about the new webcams placed uh, out and about Loch Ness, with uh, most of them being at the hotels and lodges, since they were placed by um, the uh, Invertus... Um, their travel, basically, agency. So it's just trying to get people interested. Come out. I don't know how desperate they could be. I mean, gosh, it's just tons of people. Everybody in Europe goes to Loch Ness. It's, it's not that hard to... You got all these stories that pop up in the in the news feeds. You got free advertising, basically. Uh, so Ian O'Fadigan's latest sighting came on October 20th, where he took a screen capture of what he described as a long, black, elongated shape on the surface of the water. The sighting came on, uh, again, one of the new webcams. Uh, took over a lot of slack from those uh, that little single camera thing they had. Set high up on a hill. Uh, like, felt like it was like 10 miles away from the water. It's really almost two. And uh, smeared with jelly with the... Potato shoved on the screen, wrapped in a black plastic bag. That's kind of what it looked like. Really couldn't see much from it. Um, but these new cameras are pretty good, although a couple of them are kind of far away. Um, kind of excited about the one they show. Uh, it's not even Loch Ness. They just show like this giant field, but you can see the sky. So I'm going to be tuning into that when uh, hopefully we have uh, some... Um, Gosh, I just drew a blank. The uh, Northern Lights. <laughs> uh, hopefully that would uh, show up there. It would be kind of cool. Well, I don't know. We'll see how good the cameras are. Uh, I haven't seen much of anything. It just usually gets black. So I don't know if that's good or not. Um, but Ian O'Fadigan. Uh, this sighting was from the Visit Inverness Loch Ness Shoreland Lodges cam. And happened at uh, 12.40 p.m. I guess this guy just sits around all day and watches these cameras. Uh, on the sighting, he said, quote, it looked like a long, black, elongated, massive shape. I suppose eel-like or serpent-like. And got a single photo off of it, then it was gone. 
The surface water in the area of the sighting looked relatively calm. Some people uh, may say it was only a wave. And I know waves are notorious at Loch Ness, but having observed them, some only tend to dissipate up to a half an hour after first seen. This object was up and gone in seconds. It seemed to be heading north to the left when it emerged through the surface of the water. And from observation of the photo, uh, there is a definite straight line of the water uh, linking, I believe, both parts of the one object, unquote. He's always very descriptive, Ian, and uh, tends to use some colorful language, uh, massive shape, uh, eel-like. And it's funny because he used to kind of describe this in more of the um, plesiosaur-type features. Long neck, long, uh, I saw the uh, fin-like appendages, you know, years past. And then all of a sudden, when we had this... this, um, scientific investigation of um, the water from Otago University, uh, New Zealand, when they came out and they measured the water and uh, they came out and said, well, uh, no big animals, no unknown animals, but there sure are a lot of eels. Eel DNA is a top, the top environmental DNA in Loch Ness. So uh, they kind of said, well, maybe it's a giant eel. And ever since then, all of Ian O'Fadigan's uh, descriptions include the word eel in it. Uh, so it's kind of funny that uh, we've changed with that times. Now, last year, Gary Campbell split the live sightings and the webcam sightings. They've, they've made them separate. Uh, and he says, unless they show incredible detail, the webcam sightings will mo- not make the official Loch Ness Monster sightings register. Uh which now that's turning into a completely different story. And Ian O'Fadigan was the first one, I think, the last two years to have these webcam settings that are very questionable, to be honest. And, you know, I've seen sometimes they do, um, you can't really do videos, but they'll do, they'll stitch a couple pictures together to make a video. But, you know, it's easy to alter that. But even looking at these photos that people take uh, out in Loch Ness, um, that's obviously not the original photograph because it's got a circle on it. So it was put into some software and, you know, who's looking at these original photographs? Well, I can tell you Gary Campbell is, um, but not everybody's happy about these webcams and these webcam sightings. I, you know, I, I don't think they put them up to, um, to be scientific or to, um, turn into a competition to have people sit there and and spend their life staring at a screen, waiting for the refresh to uh, do a screen cap to capture the Loch Ness Monster. I don't think you're ever going to validate anything there unless it's very close and it jumps out of the water and uh, is like a whale or something. You know, you see it all completely out of the water, which is highly unlikely. Uh, But believe it or not, there's a petition on change.org to get these webcam sightings thrown out of the official register of Nessie sightings. But I'm not sure have they visited the website because they're separate. And so far this year, despite uh, a bunch, which we'll talk about here in a second, there's none for 2022. None of these sightings have made the Loch Ness Monster sightings register. I don't, so I don't think they're really looking at this. Uh, a group called the Falkirk Boys 
have started a petition stating that the webcam sightings do not give clear looks at a potential creature and they lack clear resolution. They also go on to say that the webcam sightings, quote, be removed from the official register as it has a detrimental impact on the standard and myth of Nessie, unquote. I had to put that in quotes because that's that's crazy. Um, it's going to have an impact on the standard and myth of Nessie, as if all these other sightings have not. Uh, well, they only have 20 signatures, and uh, it was 20 signatures on Saturday when I wrote this story up, and it's uh, 20 signatures uh, as of 7.50 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so they don't sound like they have a whole lot of support. I was kind of thinking that coming out of the weekend with this hitting at least one major newspaper in Scotland, that uh, that would jump up a little bit. I was kind of thinking that maybe they'd be well over 100 by now, but <laughs> it's sitting at 20. Not much of a story, I guess. Uh, the article mentions that the uh, first sighting of the year came from Ian of Fadigan, which we remember we talked about here, where he saw a mysterious shape on the water and made several claims about the creature's size and movements. And again, there's no way to really verify this um, from a, a webcam. But of course, if you do have mapping software and understand how to utilize it, you, you can kind of make some estimates, but not the size of the creature. It's kind of difficult to do. Um, but I was, he was very descriptive in that sighting. But uh, days later, two stand-up paddleboarders came forward to state that it was them that appeared in the photo. And using photographs and timestamps, as well as GPS uh, information on the photographs, they established that it was definitely them in the photograph. Um, I mean, they p pretty much verified it. But uh, Ina Fadigan was uh, heavily in denial, saying that they were lying and that they were making it up. And it was definitely not paddle borders. And they were just kind of trying to cover things up. Uh, Ian O'Fadigan is frequently making headlines for his sightings, which come from the webcams. Uh, the guy's in there probably every two or three months. So he's, you know, he's getting a little $20, $30 check, whatever they give him for these stories, which, you know, you get them, these in the headlines and uh, you're selling advertising. That's really all the, the online things care about is selling advertising. They don't care about the stories. Journalism is dead, pretty much. Uh, while the petition on change.org does not mention Ian by name, uh, a few of the comments point toward a certain person from Ireland, which would certainly point toward him, uh, that state he's looking for fame by producing dubious claims. And I hate to say it, but uh, I think they're right. I mean, most of the stuff we've talked about, uh, not thrilling. It's almost just entertaining to hear what he has to say about these sightings. Uh, Gary Campbell responded to the article by saying that, quote, we are not the experts when it comes to official Nessie sightings. We understand that alongside the amazing scenery and landscapes, you'll see a lot of strange movements on the lock with the weather, wildlife, and odd paddle border. Little jab there. Uh, these can make great Nessie shadow in the night light. We have been asked by our friends who own the official Loch Ness Monster Sighting Register that you remember the cameras will not always give a clear resolution. We want you to spot the myst uh, mystical legend that is our beloved Nessie. But when making an official sighting report, you must have footage of clear facial 
features of an unknown creature in the footage were to be considered. To report anything you do see of this kind, email registrar at lochnessightings.com. Unquote. Clear facial features. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, photographs above water and some below water photographs, sonar and uh, just pictures that, you know people have taken. Well, I guess it's all sonar stuff because it's too murky with all that peat in the water, very dark water. Uh, you can put your hand in there. You can only see a few inches before it just disappears. Um, clear facial features. I mean, only if they took that stance on all of these sightings, we probably have nothing to talk about as far as Loch Ness Monster sightings are concerned. So moving out from Scotland, let's go to Idaho. Yes, Idaho. We haven't had the good Idaho story in a while. Uh, and an unfortunately, all too familiar story, which uh, we're getting close to the cutoff the last time we've gone this late. It wasn't a good story. Um, this took place last Thursday. A person walking their dog in New Plymouth, Idaho, which is uh, just east of the Idaho and Oregon border. So it's way out west. Way out west. Uh, they saw something strange and heard something moving in the brush while walking their dog. And the uh, strange thing moving turned out to be a three and a half foot long alligator. Yes, an alligator in Idaho. Uh, the person who found the alligator, uh, you know, they're not afraid of animals out there in Idaho. Uh, they found the, the alligator and put it in a horse trailer. I mean, three and a half foot doesn't need a horse trailer, but uh, you got to take care of it, I guess. They called wildlife officials who came out and picked up the gator the following day. Well, obviously, this is an animal that got out of an enclosure or was purposely let loose. I don't think they're going to wander from... Uh, East Texas, all the way up to Idaho. It's a pretty long walk. Um, I don't think anything really water-wise goes anywhere close to there. From the it would be from the Mississippi, but yeah, I don't think anything goes in that direction. But the uh, regional conservation office states that it's illegal to own an alligator without a permit or to release one in the wild in the state of Idaho. Uh, the alligator will be held in captivity and will either be euthanized or given to a licensed facility if the owner is not found. And I'll say it probably for the 600th time. If you have an alligator that gets too big, uh, regardless of how you obtained it, whether it was legally or illegally, uh, don't dump it in the wild, especially if you're not in an area that has alligators, even if you are. There's uh, certain places where they just they won't thrive. They won't be able to live even down south. Um, for heaven's sakes, call somebody. Most states will have uh, things set up that if you relinquish an animal uh, that you don't, you're not supposed to have, even if it's a tiger, a lion, a bear, elk, whatever you got. Um, as long as you're, you're forthright with information and you, you ask for help, uh, generally they're not going to press charges or do anything to you. But they're just going to take the animal. But uh, releasing it in the wild anywhere other than where they're even even if you're in South Carolina or Texas or Louisiana or anywhere, unless you're releasing it directly into the wild, even then they may not survive in the wild. Uh, but these are pretty much 
Now, these creatures are pretty raw and, and ancient. They, they, it's kind of hard to... Uh, people think that they can uh, domesticate these, these uh, alligators. You can't. You can't. You just got to... Ch- you can't. You can just chuck them back in. They usually are, are pretty good. A lot of animals can't. You know, if you start hand-feeding a deer, uh, the deer will probably more than likely die in the wild because they become reliant upon human hand, uh, as a lot of animals are. Uh, fox and uh, even coyotes can be, um, unfortunately, trained to need to have human hands. Bears are, are bad about that, too. So uh, call somebody. Get with somebody. And they're usually not – don't don't come to me if they do press charges. It's not my fault, but uh, do some research before you do it. But you're better off doing that because it's, it's pretty much a death sentence for these animals. Uh, so get help if you can. Uh, UFO news. Big news this week. Probably the biggest news of anything this week uh, is the big NASA announcement of the, uh, the crew of researchers that are going to start looking at these UAPs. So uh, earlier this June, NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, announced that there was a, a lack of existing research on the unidentified phenomena, or UAPs, that, quote, make it difficult to draw scientific conclusions about the nature of such events, unquote. Uh, so that was exciting to hear that um, they realize there's not a whole lot of real good information. It's just all anecdotal uh, stories, people talking about seeing this or seeing that, or videos of misinterpreted uh, objects. You know, we talked about them here on the show, people seeing these triangle, uh, triangle-shaped objects through night vision cameras, which is a, a camera artifact. When you're filming from one camera to another, it's going to create that artifact of a, a triangular shape of even just a regular airplane. That's proven scientifically, although people are in denial. Uh, well, now NASA is back in the news this week with, again, the announcement that they've created a team of 16 researchers that will spend nine months studying the subject. They will be looking at unclassified data and will be preparing a report which will be made available to the public next year. Uh, the list of 16 researchers includes uh, former astronaut Scott Kelly, who's getting all the headlines. It's all they're talking about is Scott Kelly. Scott Kelly and Scott Kelly. Uh, but there's uh, 15 other people up there. Uh, of course, uh, Scott Kelly, you know, former astronaut, he uh, first flew into space way back in 1999 aboard the uh, Space Shuttle Discovery during the STS-103 flight. Oh, that's um, STS stands for Space Transportation System, if I remember correctly. My good old space shuttle days. Um, and that uh, particular um, flight, the 103 uh, service the Hubble t- uh, Space Telescope. I'm going to have an issues with it. I think it was the third uh, crew that uh, tried to fix that that blurry, the blurry Hubble, which is not taken as a beautiful photograph, but kind of ellipsed by the James Webb Space Telescope. Uh, he also flew on the Space Shuttle Endeavour STS-118, which was uh, the first one after the Space Shuttle Columbia disaster uh, over the state of Texas. And that ship pretty much just exploded, came apart. 
Um, heat shields tore apart and just just horrible to think about. Uh, he also spent nearly a decade, sorry, nearly a decade, nearly a year in space uh, aboard the, it probably felt like a decade, uh, aboard the International Space Station during one mission alone. It was just a few weeks shy, actually, of a year, uh, even though, they, I don't know why they, they say it's a year, but it wasn't. It was like 340 some odd days, but that's a long time. And uh, he has a twin brother who was also uh, an astronaut, and they did scientific research on him, and they saw how he aged, and his body was just not even close, like to his brother, like he aged beyond his twin, which is scary to think about. That's why we need to build build robots, put robots on the space. Uh, science journalist and contri- uh, contributing writer for National Geographic, uh, Nadia Drake is mentioned here, uh, as well as professors, scientists, and uh, there's an oceanographer, which is pretty cool, as well as others who study space. And it's led by astrophysicist David Spurgel. Um, on that list, it's included on the, the uh, press release, which is posted on uh, nasa.gov. So if you look up, if you just uh, Google um, NASA researchers, you, you find the NASA link, and you'll get the list and, and their background, the little bios uh, on NASA.gov. Also included is Shelley Wright, who is an uh, associate professor of physics at the University of California, San Diego's Center for Astrophysics and Space Studies. Uh, also a SETI researcher and instrumentalist. SETI, of course, if you're not aware, stands for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, or uh, some people say silly effort to investigate because the UFOs are here, but SETI looks at uh, distant, uh, distant uh, signals or radio sources from uh, hopefully from more intelligent areas than us. Uh, the press release that was uh, was released on Friday of last week, stating that the study will quote lay the groundwork for future study on the nature of UAPs for NASA and other organizations, unquote. And it's said that uh, some of the data will come from, quote, civilian government entities, commercial data, and data from other sources, unquote. So that's interesting where they're going to get their paws on all this stuff and put it all together for a nice little report. And uh, one thing, Scott Kelly is also a New York Times bestselling author. I think he's had uh, two best-selling books. Uh, for keeping a watch on this topic, you want to circle something on your calendar for next year. Uh, the nine months started as of yesterday. So the clock is ticking. And speaking of the clock ticking, we've got uh, election day two weeks from today, and it looks like the, uh, the well, you know, some small polls, but local stuff. A lot of uh, controversy here where I live, about um, building schools, raising our taxes. You know, it seems like the older people get upset about that. They don't want to pay for that. The younger people are like, yeah, we'll pay the taxes to make our kids smarter. And everyone's divided, of course. We're always divided on everything. Um, but anyway, it looks like the polls were out early. We got a couple of separate paranormal polls that were conducted. Not my paranormal polls. I know I haven't done that in a while. Uh, they were conducted to uh, make their data debut this week. 
which is pretty interesting. Of course, that's the time of the year. You know, we do the top tens of the year toward the end of the year uh, stories and, and whatnot. But uh, right now, we're looking at top haunted places. And, you know, then these polls usually come out right around Halloween. Of course, so they have some more stuff to write about. So they can sell more advertising space, sell some cars, whatever they can do. Uh, but uh, some interesting data coming from some of these polls on, uh, I believe, in aliens and UFOs, which is, uh, I think, has really increased a, a lot, probably more so than ghosts. But we'll find out. I got some polls on that one as well. Uh, first up, myvision.org. Which is weird because it's literally a vision website. They talk about eyesight and glasses. And I, I learned something. You know, people who are colorblind can actually buy glasses. Looks like they're all dark, though. They're like sunglasses, but it'll help them see like everyone else and not being colorblind. I learned that from myvision.org. I didn't know that existed. And I've been wearing glasses for uh, 45 years now, give or take a month or three. Uh, so this uh, survey, which was conducted in September of this year of uh, over a thousand people, 1,013 Americans to be exact, to hear what they thought about UFOs and aliens. And a whopping 78% of people believe in the existence of aliens Although there are, there are no specifics as to what constitutes an alien, uh, we assume that it means like little green men or gray men. Don't want to offend anybody. I know some people believe in some, not the other. Uh, or if they're talking about just like basic microbes or single cell life, I think we're talking about uh, intelligent life forms out there. And about 33% believe that aliens have abducted humans in the past. We don't hear too much about that anymore. Not at all. Um, you know, Betting and Barney Hill pretty much started that fad, and then uh, it just kind of faded away. We don't hear too much about that anymore, but I uh, suppose it's still something that's on people's minds. 37% uh, of people surveyed feel that scientists or other officials have already made contact with life beyond Earth. Um, pretty much signed contracts to kind of turn us into human batteries, I guess, to power ancient civilizations. I don't know what the plans are, uh, but uh, I, I don't think they – I think we're giving them too much credit. Uh, when it comes to the next big question on aliens, in, in my opinion, once we – get through get to this point uh, about 50 percent feel that extraterrestrials are friendly while the other half feel they are a threat so we're split and I, i'm split too i'll be honest with you I, I don't know which way i mean you would assume that i mean if you're coming from uh, let's say you know we live in well our solar system so we have our sun we have Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune. Sorry, Pluto, you're a minor planet. Finally got over that. Um, yeah, when you see the size, comparative size, Pluto is not a real planet. It's a minor planet. At least it's not an asteroid. Let's be happy. Um, then you go outside of that solar system, which makes up 
the uh, Milky Way galaxy, which is just what we call it. They're just galaxies everywhere. And you can see a couple if you know where to look. You can see them with binoculars. Um, Andromeda Galaxy is pretty much the, the biggest one that you can see. I saw that a couple nights ago through my telescope. And these galaxies are full of solar systems. We're, gosh, since, what was it, uh, 2004? So it's only been, it's not even been 20 years we made our first discovery of an exoplanet. Now we've, gosh, what are we at? Like almost 20,000, I think we've logged, we've seen uh, of these exoplanets. And only a fraction of those that we've been able to discover do we ascertain or guess that there could be life on those exoplanets, potential life, you know, looking at the, the Goldilocks hypothesis where here on earth, we're uh, not too close, but not too far away for the sun to uh, basically either burn us to a crisp, burn off our atmosphere or be too far away that our liquid water would freeze uh, or, you know, burn off our, um, you know, our protection from all the uh, space stuff that would just fry our brains anyway. So having a nice little electronic shield around us to keep us happy. We're very fortunate. I, I don't think people realize how lucky we are to be able to, to be alive, let alone be intelligent sitting on this rock with an atmosphere, um, being able to breathe and, and have, you know, intelligent life on this rock. Uh, things just went just really right. And so, yes, it's possible when you look at how many billions and billions of potential planets are out there. It's got to be somebody like us sitting out there um, doing the same stuff, having podcasts and talking about uh, life in outer space. There's got to be somebody else. Yeah. Probably don't look like us. Probably look completely different. But it's just too big. Too many things out there. But when it comes to it, you know, when we hit our limit, we've burned this earth to bits. Or, you know, it's changing on its own. You know, people talk about, well, climate change, we've destroyed the earth. Well, the earth's changing anyway. It doesn't matter what we do. We can can, um, drive around electric vehicles and never use fossil fuels and... Uh, live off of our own land and never poop again. Uh, that ain't going to change anything. Climate's still going to change. There's nothing we can do about it. The sun uh, is changing. Uh, the earth is moving. It's slowing down. We're moving away from the sun. Uh, the moon is moving away from us. So that's going to alter things. It's going to alter temperatures. Uh, the earth wobble is changing. That's going to really mess things up. Uh, so there's, we can't control space. We can't control all these things that are happening. And if we reach that point where we're going out, we need a place to live. We see this nice lush planet, and there just happens to be some weirdos running around uh, looking at a small uh, square, uh, rectangular object shoved in their face. We're going to go, and we're going to push them out of the way, so we've got a place to live. And that's probably the same thing that will happen to us. But anyway, my rant is over. Uh, one in four say they are scared of the idea of the existence of aliens, and one in six believe that aliens will eventually invade us. Well, I think it's inevitable if we do discover them, but don't be afraid. Uh, Everything changes. Uh, MyVision.org, again, 
a literally a vision website, which I thought was weird. I still can't figure out the connection uh, other than them trying to get uh, people to go visit the website, which I did. It's part of my research. Um, also, they combed through sighting data. This is probably to me is the most uh, exciting part of this whole thing. Uh, they uh, combed through sighting data from the National UFO Reporting Center or New Fork, which uh, they get a lot more attention uh, than MUFON. And New Fork is basically like three people that do all this work, uh, where MUFON is literally thousands of people all over the world. And we rarely hear anything newsworthy from them. Uh, but New Fork makes their data available for the general public, where MUFON, you have to go through basically a paywall, become a member, pay a year uh, to have access to their data. And it's very confusing and not very well put together. They've tried to update it, but they've been talking about for years having a better database. Uh, granted, I haven't been a member for a few years, so I don't know. I haven't seen any updates, and I get emails from them. Well, I think we've had three this month already. Uh, usually the sightings are first, and they have like some sort of update if they're having a conference coming up or whatever. Uh, but anyway, they go back on New Fork data all the way back to 1974. My goodness, that was a long time ago. Uh, to seek out trends in sighting data, which is exciting. They found that California turned out to be the number one state for sightings. Well, of course, that should be no surprise. We've talked about it here every single month when the MUFON sighting statistics come out. Because they're the most populous state, they should have the most sightings. If they don't, then uh, the per capita is pretty pretty low. But uh, according to New Fork, since 1974, California's had 15,401 sightings. Well, it doesn't sound like a whole lot when you think it's been 49 years. Uh, the next closest was uh, Florida with 7,749, of course, I think Florida's number two population. They're up there. Was it Texas? Might be Texas. Uh, an interesting finding is that uh, Washington State is third with 6,866 sightings. And uh, that's despite being the 13th most populous state. Uh, they did do some good math as they evaluated the sightings based on sightings per 100,000 residents within the last five years of data by New Fork. And that's something I used to do here on the show it was something that MUFON used to do a long time ago. Uh, they've stopped doing it, and I think they should do that uh, to show not just the number of sightings per state, but which states per 100,000 people are, are seeing, because that's a true measurement method versus just uh, basing it on population. Um, so they found that Idaho, back to Idaho again, led the way with 313 sightings, uh, which would have led the per capita because their population is pretty low. Montana was next with 223 sightings in the last five years. Uh, Vermont had 132, and New Mexico had 391 sightings. Um, well, that would be per, I guess that's per 100,000 residents. So 313 No, it's not per. No, it can't be per. It's just total. So despite the way, the, leading the way, again, California, you know, leading the way with numbers of sightings, 2,661 just in the last five years. And probably half of those were rocket launches, to be honest. 
Uh, California was in 41st place in per capita. So, yeah, those are definitely just numbers of sightings, not per 100,000. I don't know where I got that from. Let me get rid of that. Why would I write that? It's not true. Well, so, yeah, number of sightings, but the kind of a per capita ranking would help if I was looking at the infographic instead of my notes, probably. Um, so great UFO data, great information coming from that. But we also have some ghost data. Um, my, of course, with Halloween right around the corner, YouGov America uh, also conducted a poll. This one centered on paranormal phenomena. These are always interesting because they're always different. They're barely ever the same. And this was a very, very recent poll. Uh, again, over a thousand participants. They uh, see this is October 12th through the 14th, and they had a follow-up poll from October 13th through the 16th, which uh, followed up on specific things, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, on ghosts, and it, the headline is two-thirds of Americans say they've had a paranormal encounter, and that's right from YouGov America, uh, their website. Uh, today.yougov.com and a nice little article here uh, it says 67% of Americans believe they've had at least one of 13 paranormal experiences that they were pulled about and it's kind of weird because you think about ghosts what is a ghost you know we can give a static definition of uh, you know a, a representation of somebody who used to be alive through means that they're not alive. Well, what what constitutes a ghostly encounter? Well, there's just so many different things, and that's why it's very difficult as a paranormal investigator to kind of center in one thing. It's kind of hard. You don't know what to expect. Uh, you go on what the uh, client has said that they've encountered and kind of try to focus on that if you're smart, not just take random pictures looking for orbs and stuff like that. That's just stupid. Um Half of people who say they've had a paranormal encounter believe that they have one of seven paranormal abilities, such as being able to hear voices or read minds. And that's those are the people that were had the follow up questions asked. Uh, there's also a little mention about sleep paralysis, which when I kind of skipped that in the intro and I saw that down toward the bottom or because the reading, look, they Get, they got some personal experiences on here. It's, there's some quotes here. It's funny because they say that they've uh, uh, the quotes have been edited for spelling and grammar and may not be representative of all responses. And I laugh because, you know, I, I get tons of reports uh, even now, even though I still I don't really operate a paranormal group anymore per se, but uh, I still farm out cases or will try to work some cases on my own but it's kind of difficult without a team so i usually turn them over to other people but it's just funny because you can tell the problem solving ability pretty much by the way somebody writes their emails it's kind of a dead giveaway but uh, they've edited these things and it's pretty pretty interesting poll here so 37 percent of americans say they felt a presence or unknown energy and 33% of Americans say they've heard an unexplained sound or music. 30% of Americans say they've smelled an unexplained odor. It wasn't me. 
I didn't deal it. Uh, 29% of Americans say they've heard the voice of someone who wasn't there. 28% of Americans say they felt an unexplained change in temperature. And I have to laugh because one of the quotes underneath it says this person, they said, uh, quote, I was in a 100-year-old hotel in Brazil with abandoned floors that were accessible. Uh, as my friend and I explored, the temperature dropped and we saw orbs of light. Unquote. It's probably ghost, ghost hunters. Hopefully they weren't there illegally. 25% of Americans say they've seen lights or other devices turned on or off without explanation. Software glitch. Uh, 22% of Americans say they've seen an object move without explanation. Those are the ones I want to talk to right there. Um, 20% of Americans say they've seen doors open or close without explanation. And 19% of Americans say they've seen a spirit or ghost. Um, yeah, they followed up with uh, some of those people who uh, say they've seen a spirit or ghost to find out more about their experience. And they say that uh, people are equally likely to say it was someone that they knew, such as a family member, 29%, as they are to say that it wasn't somebody that they knew, 29% as well. And 28% say they've seen both types of spirits or ghosts, although they, I don't think they d define what a spirit or ghost is here. Um, people who say they've encountered a spirit or ghost are likely to have encountered them more than once. So 75% of people say they've encountered one at least once. 32% say they've encountered them five times or more. And 40% um, of people say they've encountered spirits or ghosts that they say only encountered good ones. It's pretty high. Uh, 7%, well, of course, I get the ones that people can't, don't want to deal with, I guess. Now, 7% say they've seen evil, and 17% say they've been neutral. Now, this is where it gets interesting. You talk about paranormal abilities. Two in five Americans, 39% say they've had at least one of seven paranormal abilities. Uh, the largest share, 24%, say they have the ability to psychically sense others' emotions or auras. And they do talk about clairvoyance here. So if you're talking clairvoyance, um, other emotions or auras is technically clairsentience. They don't mention that. They just mention clairvoyance. Uh, the most common ability claimed by 15% of Americans is hearing voices or sounds from spirits or ghosts. Um, so that would be a clairaudient. Technically, uh, between 12 and 13 percent of people believe they can either psychically see events in the past, which is retrocognition, uh, or the present, which is clairvoyance, or future, which is precognition. Uh, fewer say they can read minds, 9 percent, um, and uh, communicate with the dead, 8 percent. That's pretty low. I would have figured that would have been a lot higher. And Age is a uh, kind of an interesting factor. Uh, adults under 45 are far more likely than older Americans to say they have the ability to sense emotions or auras. 30% versus 20%. Hear voices or sounds from spirits or ghosts. 22% versus 10%. Uh, 
or psychically see events they're not present for. 21% versus 7%. Um, and paranormal encounters are more likely to happen to people who believe that they have paranormal abilities. Uh, they break down, uh, there's 13 types here. Uh, seeing orbs, that's funny. But um, I guess that makes sense. If you think that you have the ability, you're probably going to see more stuff. And paranormal encounters can result from haunted dwellings. One in four Americans, 25% exactly, say they've lived in a house that they believe was haunted. And these people are far more likely than people who don't believe they've lived in a haunted house that say they've had each of these 13 paranormal encounters when asked about. Um, and I, like I said, they do mention sleep paralysis, which is one plausible scientific explanation for paranormal encounters. Um, because there's a few that actually mentioned falling asleep and then seeing something, which, uh, or being, uh, feeling the feeling of being held down, which is a very good one. Uh, another one that they don't mention is carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, that can cause a lot of these sightings that, that's on this list, which is startling to think about. And uh, being October, October is generally fire safety month, but they also talk about carbon monoxide. So if you don't have a carbon monoxide tester, you probably want to go out and get one of those. Uh, it could save your life. And unfortunately, I wish I would have known about those when I first started in the ghost field uh, because I've heard too many horror stories, uh, not about ghosts, but about people having... Uh, very extreme issues. Unfortunately, a, a couple of children perished during a paranormal investigation because of carbon monoxide poisoning. And had that team understood or knew that they should be measuring for that or looking for that due to the fact that it can cause very similar things to when people think they encounter ghosts, they could have saved some lives. Um, and you could save your family's lives if you invest. They're not that expensive. Uh, but uh, carbon monoxide poisoning is very dangerous, very real, and can actually have signs of ghost sightings. So on that note, sleep tight and have a safe and happy Halloween next Monday. Now, next Tuesday, there will be no show. So I'll see you in a couple of weeks. But for now... Keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. Above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.